When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. It's our weekly Mark Driscoll bashing, otherwise known as the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast review. And we're going to get into episode nine right now. Spencer. This is my lovely wife, Nikki. Hello. And today we are reviewing episode nine from the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, the podcast put on by Christianity Today. And it was an interesting one. Um, do you have anything you want to say before we get into it? Uh, well, praise report that our kids won both games today. Even though I don't we know want soccer to be over. Yes, I mean. <laughs> praying for it to end, but it's good that they keep winning. I it's guess. good I don't know. for them, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, it's good <laughs> to test our patience. So. But it was fun. Yep. Um, I would say please like and subscribe. We'd love to have you guys here with us. Come join us on social media if you dare tread in those godless waters. Uh, or, more preferably, come join us on our Discord we would love to engage with you guys there, pray for you there, praise God with you there. Um, and we do have a praise report. I forgot to mention it in our previous episode, our you know news of the week roundup. But we just had uh, Dr. James White, who I'm sure you're all familiar with. If you're not, get familiar. He's a wonderful <laughs> pastor, preacher, apologist. I don't know what he considers himself. But I had a cool little interaction where I follow him on Twitter. He had uh, posted something that he was looking for a church to come and preach at in our neck of the woods down here. And just on a whim, I reached out to him and said, hey, we'd love to have you at our little church. And lo and behold, he got back to me and came down just this past weekend. And he preached at our church on Sunday morning and then Sunday evening and Monday evening, he did uh, two different lectures, one on New Testament reliability, and then another one on sort of this new or the King James only controversy. And we're going to link all of those on social media. We'll link them on our discord channel. So please go give them a listen. Um, You know, we've heard a lot of James White sort of debates and different things Mm -hmm. that he's done but this was the first time I ever really heard him just preach 
yeah. you know, like a normal sermon. And it was really good. And um, I do want to give a shout out to our pastor, um, Pastor Bill Kane, uh, to be humble enough to give up the pulpit to another preacher in his own church, um, especially after listening to <laughs> Mark Driscoll and Mars Hill. You're <laughs> like, maybe not every pastor is humble enough to, you know, let somebody else have their congregation. <laughs> so um, we've got a wonderful pastor, Pastor Kane, great teacher, um, and I just want to say thanks because I basically agreed to have James White come to our church before I even <laughs> ran it by the pastor of the <laughs> church. And uh, after the fact, I went back and was like, hey, I kind of agreed. And he was like, yeah, that'd be you know awesome. So <laughs> thank you, Pastor Kane. And then, yeah, go check those links out. If you don't know who Dr. White is, Give him a look. Um, his home church, I believe, is Apologia Church in Phoenix, Phoenix, maybe. Um, a lot of good stuff out of there. So big shout out and praise to God for getting that done. It was a blessing to us for sure. So um, do you want to give just a quick summation, I guess, of what episode nine was kind of the broad brush of what it was about? Well, the things that stood out to me um, are kind of how, like, they're painting the picture that Mark kind of is just focused on numbers and growing, um, growing in the, the media with this, um, what's it called, the resurgence, and this whole thing is his focus, is what they're, uh, saying, and he's kind of overlooking his own staff and caring for you know his own flock and overlooking them in order to I don't know like he's just business minded and numbers minded and not very pastoral I guess that's what it looked like to me yeah it was kind of like and I think they even make the point early on in the episode um, that this was sort of a big turning point sort of in the Mars Hill Um, life kind of as they started falling off the cliff almost Um, I think it was like 2010 ish and it kind of talks about this turning point in Mark Driscoll where he you know early on in his career in his pastoral career he was really opposed to the mega church idea Mm -hmm. and all these sorts of things but then sometime around 2010 and probably earlier than that he was leading into this and then 2010 he sort of became um, like engulfed in trying to become the biggest church in the country and yeah um, you know all these sorts of things so it's kind of an episode looking into that how it happened and yeah. some of the fallout from that was kind of the broad brush of like what he was trying was to make about. a name for himself yeah with some of the clips they shared and just people quoting what he said and yeah and yeah. you know there was definitely some times in this episode that we'll get into where mark looked pretty bad um But overall, you know, and this goes back to all the other, what, like 11 episodes or so we've done Mm -hmm. up to this point. Um, And this episode didn't change my mind at all, so I'll just get it out up front. I see a lot of this more as an indictment for those that you have around you, more so than an indictment on, Mm -hmm. like, Mark specifically. You know, I think... The story of Mars Hill, at least up to this point that I've seen, is that Mark was a a passionate, um, 
really unique man of God who seemed to have a very timely and important message. Mm-hmm. And because of his own personal failings, which I think a lot of it had to do with his maybe um, trust or his, uh, I don't know how to say it, the people that he put around himself in a lot of ways wound up sinking the ship Mm -hmm. that was um, Mars Hill and really bringing the worst out of Mark Driscoll. And ultimately, you know, sabotaging what seemed like a great ministry, a powerful ministry in a place that desperately needed it. So I thought to me up to this point, what I've thought of every time I listen to this is you need to be very cautious about the company you keep. Yeah. And I think he got a lot of people around him that were just uh, business minded and they didn't have the same mission that he had, which was for the people to really see men and families step up and take their role seriously. It's like that vision got twisted to more, how can we grow the church instead of focusing on individual families? And so I think he, especially getting an atheist to be working with him, I think he just got more focused in the business part of it. And with those things that he would say, like, get, I don't know, something with that bus, like I run over, I don't know how it went, but I hate that saying. Well, they played in this episode. (laughs) Yeah, I think he definitely had like business minded and they talk about that specifically in this episode. But I also think that he had people around him even from an early early time in the church that were kind of almost hero worshipers. Um, and they even make note of that sort of in this episode, this first guy that they really interview, his name's like Mike Anderson or something. Yeah. And he's the guy who ultimately builds this website called The Resurgence, which becomes basically the biggest Christian website, you know, on the internet at the time. But he even makes note that, Early on, he's going to this conference and he sees Tim Keller, Keller. Um, who obviously is a very big, you know, name in the Christian community. But he talks about seeing Tim Keller and he's like, oh, my God, like, yeah. here's Tim Keller, like a Superman, like somebody that. So he's already like talking about how he has this sort of like, you know, kind of like a fandom towards preachers, which we should not have we as shouldn't. Christians. You know, um, if anything, you should be extra scrutinizing of people in authority in the church rather than being fans of them. And, you know, we've talked in the past and we'll talk more about Jamie Munson as we go through this, but Jamie Munson was the church's first intern. And we've talked about before, maybe he sort of had a hero sort of idea or fascination with Mark Driscoll Mm -hmm. um, and all these sorts of things. So that's kind of the big, what we've learned up to this point. You know, and especially if you have kids, if you have other people in your life, man, you need to watch who they let around them very, very closely. So um, do you have a point that you want to get to first or we'll just we didn't take a ton of notes on this. We kind of again, we listened to it separately. um, So we're just kind of going back through it. I know I'm trying to think what would come next, like if we're going (laughs) in order I didn't write down. Well, I'll say because we've already talked about the names. Um, Jess, uh, our, you know, least favorite atheist, um, shows up prominently in this episode again, and that is awful. And then also 
we haven't seen Jamie Munson for a few episodes, and he's back and looking just as awful as he did the last time we see him. So although Christianity Today never points out really anything negative about Jamie Munson, even though every time I hear his name come up, I'm like, good heavens. Um, and our kids are doing gymnastics downstairs. If you can hear that, we apologize. <laughs> so, um, yeah, the, kind of the opening of this is just talking about the building of the resurgence, which I thought was fascinating um, and started, sort of showed the intuitiveness that they've talked about with Mark Driscoll in the past. You know, earlier on in this, we heard stories about Mark Driscoll, you know, when he hired uh, Tim Smith, right? He talks about God gave him a dream and he knew he mm. was going to meet Tim Smith and he went and, you know, hired him and he, you know, had a way of finding the right people to fit the job. And this Mike Anderson guy seemed to be that like Mark basically hired this 23 year old, um, that really didn't have any credentials other than Mark trusted him for whatever reason. They don't really talk about why Mark trusted him. But it showed Mark had some good intuition because he basically hires this guy and tells him, I need you to build this website and just do it however you need to. Um, and Mike Anderson goes and builds the biggest Christian website on the Internet, basically without any funding from the church, right. just a commission to go and do it. So Mark at least, you know, still had that intuition to find and hire at least some of the right people. That um, seemed like a good call. I mean, yeah, Mike didn't seem know. like a bad guy or, you know, or anything like that. And he certainly wasn't like a Jesse Bryan type of dude. Yeah. Um, he took his job serious and he said he was sleeping on the floor of the hotel rooms and everything. And I thought that. it was a great testimony to anybody. I mean, let your kids listen to it. You know, you want to know how to be successful in this world. Um, you know, we get misled a lot of times by like, youtube stars and twitch streamers and these like seemingly overnight celebrities and stuff like that which is not real by and large for most of the world what is real for most of the successful people in the world is the mike anderson route i mean they talk about he travels and he had a gigantic black backpack mm -hmm. that they're like he always had well he had it because that's what he lived out of that was all he owned, basically. And this, you know, said he would go from hotel to hotel and sleep on floors and bum rooms and just scrapping by. Mm -hmm. And he ultimately prevailed. And that's the way, you know, the one percenters and the successful people in this world get trashed by our godless government and, you know, socialists all the time. But those are the stories of the one percenters. Like we mm -hmm. always see them when they are the one percent. And they're these wealthy, you know, older white men mostly that they hate. But they don't show you what they look like the previous 35, 40 years where, you know, I always remember the story of the Chevron CEO. You know, Chevron, obviously one of the biggest oil companies in the world. And I'm sure at the time he was a CEO, probably made multi-millions of dollars a year, if not tens of millions of dollars a year. But I think it said he started basically like, in the mailroom or something like that. Like 30 years prior, he started basically in the mailroom of Chevron and then just grinded and grinded, went to school, prevailed and got promoted all the way to the CEO of Chevron. And you like, have to have patience. I like hearing those stories like our pastor and Clovis. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, shared stories with other people like that. And that's the way most of the successful people are. I mean, we had good friends in um, our old hometown. I mean, they're not multimillionaires by any means, as far as I know. I don't know, I guess. But, (laughs) you know, successful business owners. And if you talk to them, their story started the same way, like owning construction companies now. But what they started was like, yeah, I just started doing construction and I'd pick up, you know, the loose stuff that they threw off the roof and I'd clean it up. And then eventually they gave me a hammer and I went up (laughs) on the roof. And then, you know, years and years I decided, you know, I could probably do this myself. And they start a business and struggle and struggle. And then sure, we know them now when they're 50 or 60 and they own a big successful company, you know, lots of houses, cars. And you're like, if you just met them, you'd be like, oh, look at this rich guy. But you don't realize that like, oh yeah, when he was 20 years old and, you know, cleaning up bent nails off the ground to get started, you know, so kind of getting off track here, but Mike Anderson shows this potential. So that was really cool and mm-hmm. um, shows some good insight. Who from are all the, the volunteers? Was that with the resurgent? They don't talk about all the names of the volunteers. Yeah, but that was with that, how they all became successful afterwards because they were just volunteering, so they got all the experience. And supposedly so. they're going to, I guess, maybe highlight some of those names down the road, yeah. some of these episodes, but... Yeah, apparently Mike Anderson not only had a knack for um, building up this resurgence website, but also a leadership knack to um, build up the volunteers and the people around him to go and be supposedly what they say is like hugely successful in their own right, which is the sign of a true leader, right? So that was pretty cool. Um, And then kind of moving on from there, really the only part of this entire episode that I thought really made Mark look negative. Um, they play this interview that he has with James McDonald and I think Matt Devers. I didn't remember the names. Yeah, I think it's James yeah. McDonald's and Matt Deaver. And um, in this interview, Matt Devers is talking to them and they're kind of bragging about their multi-site churches. Um And this was the point where what jumped out to me, I was like, man, if you want to see what pride in a pastor looks like, James McDonald and Mark Driscoll uh, showcased it in a wonderfully awful way. But then they add in there, oh, hundreds of professions of faith a year, praise God, hundreds of baptisms, praise God. So they add that in there. Yeah. Praise God, though. Yeah, I mean... It just, it looked like, you know, two guys with huge egos um, trying Mm -hmm. to brag. Well, because Mark used what term he said, um, like, I won or something like that, like a term that sounded like competitive. Um, I can't remember exactly. I think they were talking about, like, um, how many. Or I beat you. That's what he said. Yeah, it was like how many services you have or how many church plants you've had or something. I can't remember. And they were like, you know, Mark at the time had had 10 working on 11 church plants. The James McDonald guy had had five or six or something. And then Matt Devers didn't. He was just a pastor of one church. And they were like, like, how could you look at building churches as a competition like that? That was bad. It was. And I never really thought much about it until listening to this, but 
And I'd be curious to know what you guys think about multi-site churches. Yeah. Because it almost seems like just an ego play on a pastor's part that like, I'm the only one that can actually like pastor these churches to be successful. Well, the way they explained it was, I guess they can put like the, the campus pastors, they don't have to worry about preaching a sermon, preparing a sermon. They can focus more on the immediate needs of the church. That was the positive, like the explaining why it's a good thing. And I, I thought, well, I can consider that, but I don't know. Is it that, what if your campus pastor, I mean, if he's a pastor, I mean, his job is to feed those sheep and he knows the sheep best. So he should be speaking to them just like the letters to the churches in the New Testament were specific to those churches. So how can you speak to the church not knowing the church? So I, I guess I disagree with their positive spin on it because there's needs and it needs to be addressed collectively. So yeah. I don't know. I don't know what kind of sermons the head pastor thinks the church needs without even knowing what, what the needs are. You don't know them. Well, I think it's like anything where, because they sort of give you a history in this episode of the multi-site church sort of phenomenon, how it grew and started in America, which is pretty interesting. And I think like anything, it started for a good reason and it made sense. You know, it talks about back in whatever, like the seventies and a small church in a strip mall is outgrowing the small space they have and they can't knock down walls. So they're like, oh, well, let's just run a cable to, you know, mm-hmm. the, the suite next to us and we'll put a couple TVs in there and that'll be like an overflow room. And you're like, okay, that makes sense, right? Like you can't afford necessarily a new space or to expand because you're in a small confined Well, they kind of had mall. that at Manage Church when we were going there. Like the overflow room, it was like the youth room. Right, I same mean, that was still service. kind of inside the same campus. Yeah, though, wasn't it? but it was just weird, like another room to go in. I don't know. And that doesn't, I mean, that makes sense to me. And even at the start, as you're kind of a pastor growing, you're like, man, we're getting kind of big. Like, hey, you know, and especially back then, the technology was just starting to take off where you were able to do this because you were, were never able to do this before. So you're like, ah, you know, maybe we can, you know, run some cable to the next block over or two blocks over and we can have another overflow room there. And it starts to make sense in a, in a way. But then I think when you get like anything, you abuse it and it gets too big. And then you're like, Mark, you've got 10 or 11 different church sites. And they talk about the first one he planted was Albuquerque. So he's a Seattle pastor running a very Seattle church, but then plants in Albuquerque. And like you said, how do you pastor the same to people in Albuquerque, New Mexico, in Seattle, Washington? They're, they're I mean, I'm the, it's the body of Christ, so they're somewhat similar, but their day-to-day life, the struggles, mm-hmm. the things they go through are wildly different. Yeah. And they even make note of that in here that, like, you can't pastor and preach the same way where you, if you're a small-town pastor, you know, you're talking about, ah, the Friday night football game and all the little things that are unique to your community. Yeah. Well, that all goes out the window when you're talking about multi-city churches. Now you're just simply preaching a 
a somewhat generic message. I think that's why people like small groups so much because they're actually having, getting to discuss and find answers to things that pertain to their life, their culture and everything too. I don't know. Well, I think that, yeah, I mean, people like the community. I mean, it's the way the body of Christ is designed. Um, So Mark definitely looked really bad here, but I couldn't help because they constantly talk about it. Mike Cosper does, you know, like how this was a drastic change in Mark Driscoll. And they even play um, clips from him, you know, early on in his church days where he's mocking the idea of a mega church. Mm -hmm. And again, to me, that goes back to who does he have around him? Because the Mark Driscoll that were presented early in his career is not this guy. He's not this right. internet sensation. He's not this mega church, multi-site. Those are everything he's opposed to. So what happened? What happened from the Mark Driscoll that started Mars Hill, was passionate about family and yeah. biblical fan, you know, uh, headship and all these sorts of things to where now, you know, 10 years later, He's this dude that's super consumed with his internet, you know, it's presentation. It's get on the bus or get run over. Yeah, is planting like, churches, being a megachurch. And all I can think is the people around him that he brought in, the Jesse Bryans, who again show up yeah. and look god-awful in this. The Jamie Munsons, who we never hear anything about, but he's always around when the worst things are happening. Um, and do these people, all, all I can think is, you know, that old saying, like, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Mm. If you bring these kind of people around you and they start leading him. And again, these are his character flaws, right? He's an ego. He has a big ego, yeah, sort of narcissistic, true. but he's not really a leader. He's kind of a follower in the sense that these people are steering him. In at a least direction he had he wants the to boldness go. to say what needed to be said in the beginning about families yeah. That seems like the only thing I think he had going for him was this boldness. Like people are gifted in all these other areas, like business wise, but that's not going to motivate people to change like the thing that really needed to be done. No. And that's so. why I'm sad. Like, listen to this makes me sad that Mars Hill is gone. Like the early Mars Hill church. If he could have stayed like, he could have stayed a small church. I mean, just from the way he preached alone, like, I think he would have had more of an impact just staying family-focused uh, instead of business-focused. He would have. I mean, if you talk, or they do, the people they interview early on in these episodes that were there for the start of Mars Hill when it was first growing, I mean, they talk about the power um, of that church and the impact it made in their life. And you don't really mm-hmm. hear about those people later on in the 2010s and stuff like Like, he's moved past them they've been run over by the bus right and (laughs) i mean it's sad because that's still a message in a ministry that we need in america like we've said before we probably need it more today than we needed it in the late 90s um, because america's in worse shape today than it was even back then so yeah definitely sad i think another point in this that they tried to make mark look bad um, but i'm probably a contrarian is they talk about his book sales. So they talk about him selling this book, and I can't remember what it was called, something about marriage. marriage. And they're kind of talking about how, you know, this dirty deal that was done and um, how Mark 
was desperate to get his book listed on the New York Times bestseller list. So they were um, basically printing the book and then they were sending people out to go and buy up all their copies in New York City, basically, because that's where they needed to be sold in order to make the New York Times bestseller list. And so they're talking about it and they're like, ah, you know, we all felt like this was really bad, but, you know, the ball had already been rolling in this direction. Nothing much we could do about it. And I don't know how you felt when they were talking about that. I don't know. I guess I was just thinking about the the budget, like he had to, the contract that had to be signed for it, and it was like $200,000. So I was just, I don't know, I was going to ask you about that and clarify that. Yeah, so. That's what bothered me, but maybe I need a clarification on that. No, I mean, obviously a lot of money, and they definitely paint this to be, you know, like Mark was sort of cooking the books to make himself look better, right? Because he's this egomaniac, narcissist. And should a pastor do this? No, probably not. But this is not unique to Mars Hill and Mark Driscoll. Like, this is something everybody does. Unless you're Stephen King and you don't need to do it. But, like, this is what you do in the book publishing world. Like, this is not an uncommon thing to publish or put your book out and then go and buy up a bunch of your own copies because you need it to get on that New York Times bestseller list so was that you he can... he was having his congregation buy them up? I think he was having his church buy them. But I was thinking money. that's like your side... That's like a side job is how I was looking at it. And I don't know why you would get your church involved in your side job. Again, a pastor shouldn't do it, right? If You know... Because money should not be that important to a pastor. Yeah. Um, I don't know what his plans were with that money, with I the just, profits. How was it going to benefit the church? Well, I don't think it was. I mean, they do talk in here about how he was going to be the one getting the royalties for the book. Mark was. So he was basically using the church's money to buy the books. And then the royalties from those bought books were going back to him. So I don't know. I don't like it. No, I definitely doesn't make him look good. But I think when they paint this picture, it's almost like this is something unique to Mark Driscoll, and it's not. Again, he shouldn't You're do right. it as a pastor, yeah. but everybody does I think does some it. of the things they bring up about him are similar to a lot of other pastors. Like you said, it's not like a lot of the things they bring up, probably. Yeah, I mean, again, Mark is the one to blame for it if he's the lead pastor, but I don't think he was alone, and he certainly wasn't, because they talk a lot about Jamie Munson through this whole process. Um, was right there um, making sure that this deal got done. So definitely he's to blame as well. I just wanted to point that out that, yeah, Mark did it, shouldn't have done it, but this isn't a unique situation. So um, that was just, I think, another part where they tried to make him look bad. Another big thing that was they kind of talk about in here, and I guess to try to make Mark look bad, was the Quest Field sort of Sunday service. Oh, yeah. Where was the Quest Field? So they, I'm not that familiar with it. It's just the Seattle Seahawks football stadium. So it's oh. in downtown Seattle. It um, sounded all hyped up and, you know, like just a bunch of fans. Like you wouldn't have known it was really a church service. No, I mean, <laughs> yeah, it didn't seem like a church service. You know, I went to one something like this. It was more like a 
church conference kind of a thing. It was at the Pontiac Silverdome back in the day when the Detroit Lions played there. And it was like a huge thing. I think there was like 50,000 people that showed up and they had, that was the first time I ever heard of the Newsboys because they played, (laughs) you know, I was probably 13 at the time and the Newsboys came and played and they had a bunch of preachers. Uh, I think Reggie White, who you probably don't know, but he's a Hall of Fame. He's dead now, but Hall of Fame football player. He went and preached there. Um, So it seemed more like that, but it was kind of a church service. And they made Mark, they tried to make Mark look really bad in this, that he basically wanted to throw this huge church service at a gigantic football stadium together in a very short amount of time. They talk about six weeks from the time that the idea was birthed to when the service started. Is that too short notice, six weeks? That's what they're saying. It was too short notice, and everybody around him just got burnt out. It wore him down, ground him in, you know, into dust, basically. Why did it need to be held there, though? Like, what was the reason? They don't really ever go into what the reason was. Um, But I just think the show, the episode, was sort of pointing to, like, Mark was this taskmaster that he wanted you know his ego needed to have this service because they kind of talk in there about how he conquered Seattle right with this this was his crowning sort of achievement he had conquered Seattle and now it was to time to branch out into the whole country and the world right and become this multi-site mega pastor and you know so they try to paint him that picture but again like always I don't see things the way Mike Cosper sees them because I don't think any pastor would turn down this opportunity or very little. Like, just think of your pastor in your church. If they were like, hey, uh, we have this really unique opportunity to hold a church service in whatever the local pro sports team's arena is. Well, I think that's cool because a lot of people would go to it because it's not a church. Right, like, unbelievers have... would go. But I want to know, what did he preach? That would make it more... Yeah make me think, okay, it was a good thing, depending on what he was preaching, who's the audience he was hoping to have show up there. Well, and they make it seem like what he preached was not a traditional Mark Driscoll type preaching. It was like overhyped and, you know, it was a little too much and over the top. And it sounded like it. Obviously, we didn't hear the whole service and all these sorts of things. But I just thought, you know, they're trying to make him look like he's this really, you know, he's driving everybody so hard that they're burning out. But I think any pastor would take this opportunity, you know, if they thought, hey, we can get all the churches in the city to come together. We can get bands up here. Like she said, people that don't normally go to Mm -hmm. church. There were celebrities there, you know, football players from the Seattle Seahawks showed up. And if you were told like, hey, there's this one very small sliver of an opportunity. It's really soon. It's only six weeks. Do you want it? Like everybody would be like, yeah, 100 percent. I mean, even just in our own circle, and this was not even close to it, it's difficult, but having Dr. James White come down to our church was a little bit of a headache because, you know, our church isn't big enough to house all the people that wanted to come and see him. So it took coordination with the other local churches around and getting, you know, accommodations for him and all these sorts of things, schedules moved around. It wasn't super easy. I mean, it wasn't obviously renting out a football stadium and stuff, but like the opportunity presented itself, it was fairly short notice within a month. And mm-hmm. you just go, I don't know, it's going to be difficult, but let's just make it work. Cause this is a unique opportunity. 
I guess I the people who are burnt out, can they say, was it, was it worth it? Are they saying it was worth it or not? Apparently, well, nobody's ever saying it's worth, like, worth it now. I don't right? care how burnt out you are. Like, if people heard the gospel for the first time, though, and people got saved, then don't complain about how burnt out you are. Like, what would we not do for people to hear the gospel? Like, yeah. looking at it that way, that's good. Whatever Mark's intentions were, there's well, other again. people there speaking, I guess. It was, like, not just him. Okay. No, there's other preachers in the local area, I believe. It was okay. banned. But again, this is what they do, right? They tell you all of this was on Mark's shoulders. He was the one. But again, he had 67 elders at Mars Hill. Janie Munson's there. All these different people who you never hear had any input. They make it sound like Mark Driscoll is Caesar, and he's just dictating orders to everybody. But you know, yeah, so obviously now looking back, everybody goes, oh, my God, that was such a bad idea. And, yeah, I mean, was it? Maybe. But, again, like you said, this is Christianity today, better known as today's Christianity and um, progressive Christianity. Yeah. And Mark's an easy person to dump on right now, and it shields all these other people from all of their, um, I guess, blame that they should have with the fall of Mars Hill. Yeah. They're just going, hey, do you want to alleviate yourself of all that guilt? No, just dump it on Mark's shoulders. Come jump on our podcast. And they're like, oh, okay. Because so, if you belong to the church, it's the fall of the church. You fell yeah. with it. It's not the fall of Mark Driscoll. No, and that's what they try to make it seem like. And again, because we always get these comments, we're not Mark Driscoll apologists. He certainly had his faults. And as the head of the church, he takes the ultimate blame, but we just do not think he's the sole responsibility. And that was kind of, we'll maybe end on this unless you have some other points. Um, Jesse Bryan shows back up here in a big way. And then Jamie Munson, as we talked about, is back in here again. And I can't help but every time those two, I mean, Jesse Bryan, they love to interview Jesse Bryan, and I can't understand why. <laughs> And every time we talk about this, people comment and they're like, oh, you know, just because they left the church or they're atheists, they should still have a voice. No, Jesse no. Bryan should not be given a voice. Jesse Bryan, I can only imagine, was a cancer to that church. Um, he, he's an atheist. Why would you allow an atheist around you? And um, they tell one story in specific uh, about this guy. I think his name was like Nate Sutton or something like that. Yeah. And he, Mark hires him to be basically his executive assistant or something. And he tells a story of how they go to London. And um, this is where he basically realized his time with Mars Hill was done. He had been pushed too far. And he goes to London and he gets this eye infection in both eyes. And he tells a story that like Mark tells him, or Mark asked jesse like is he contagious or whatever like well, he is texted he gonna, him yeah yeah like is he going to be able him. to travel back to america with us because if not we're going to leave him and we're just going to go back on his on our own and they're like ah oh, you know mark and the guy tells the story he basically meets another pastor the pastor prays for him he gets better or whatever and he goes back home and i mean praise god the power of God and healing is still alive. Yeah, well. he was very touched that he 
prayed with him as if that was something he'd never experienced before. Well, and he said Mark had never done that for him before, like actually laid hands on him and prayed for him. And he even makes note that him and Mark were sort of staying in the same room. They were in the same room, yeah. And definitely makes Mark look bad for sure, but I couldn't help but notice who was Mark with this entire time in London? Jesse Bryan. And Mm -hmm. um, Mark seemed to take a turn for the worst the moment Jesse Bryan showed up in the church and in his life. And he seems like a different man than he was obviously before Jesse showed up, right? Because we heard stories early on about Mark bringing, you know, Tim Smith specifically moved him into his basement to come be a pastor with him. Well, all these times where he hears from God, did he say he heard from God to hire Jesse Bryan? No. He just (laughs) knew that Jesse Bryan was a talented director. And, but there were, you know, Mark tells the stories, right? And no one denies him of his, they call him his demon trials, but casting out demons and all these sorts of things that young, early Mark Driscoll had done. But now here's his uh, devil on his shoulder, yeah. Jesse Bryan. And Mark is not the same man anymore. He's an egotistical, um, mm-hmm. vanity-driven dude. And how did that all come about? Because Jesse Bryan told us in earlier episodes that he's the one who pushed him into this um, online media personality. And he admitted he knew what he did. Yeah. yeah. And every time yeah. there's some really awful story going around, it's either Jesse Bryan there or Jamie Munson. And it's the same in this episode, that whole book deal. They talk about Je- Jamie Munson. He's the one pushing this book deal, getting it going um, for Mark and making sure that the money and all this stuff gets paid out. But then when it comes time to sign contracts, who's not around? Oh, Jamie Munson. And I was like, sounds like Judas, you know, Judas Mm -hmm. Munson, right? Took all the money, sold Jesus out, but who's not there when Jesus is hanging from the cross, right? Ah, It's Judas. And I'm not saying Jamie is Judas, right? I don't know the man. These are just my assumptions. So forgive me if I'm speaking out of turn and Jamie is innocent of all these charges, but I just can't help. Every time you hear Mm -hmm. it, Jamie is right there when Mark is at his worst. And we never really hear from Jamie. You know, Mike Cosper, he never gets interviewed. This Mm. just always talked about like, oh, and Jamie was there. That's true. Like, why didn't you interview Jamie? He was the executive (laughs) pastor. And they even make note, and I thought this was fascinating, talking about Mark's intuition. So Mark hires this Sutton, or Nate Sutton dude, I think was his name. Um who tells the story, right? He gets broken. Um, he winds up leaving the church. This other guy prays for him. He gets healed, you know, in his eyes and stuff. And seems like a fairly godly person. Wanted to do the best that he could for the church. Uh, so he was Mark's executive assistant. Well, Jamie Munson hired an executive assistant as well, uh, which is fascinating because Jamie Munson hires an executive assistant to handle, like, the finances and the day-to-day, basically a general manager. And I was like, isn't an executive pastor the church's general manager, essentially? So basically, Jamie Munson kept the title and hired someone else to do his job for him. And then the guy he (laughs) hires turns out to be this bad dude, essentially, is what they're talking about in this episode, this guy named Sutton Bryant. 
I think is yeah. what his name was. And he's ultimately, you know, they basically paint, paint him as being a bad guy. And I was like, isn't it fascinating that Mark Driscoll, even at these low points, hires this seemingly godly dude and Nate Sutton or whatever his name is. And Jamie Munson at the same time hires a guy for the same position that is not godly and is not good for the church in any way. And I was like, just a fascinating kind of juxtaposition there. And, um, it's yeah, very that's a weird bunch. I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, unless Jamie's just a bad dude, then it makes perfect sense. Um, <sighs> and then the last big point that I wanted to talk about here, because I don't want Jesse Bryant to get off lightly. Um, <laughs> Every time he opens his mouth, I dislike it more and more. And he says something in here, and I wish Mike Cosper, if you listen to this, Mike Cosper, stop interviewing Jesse Bryan. He's a cancer for your show, um, just like he was a cancer for Mars Hill. And You don't want to fall too. <laughs> he says something in there, and he has said it in a previous episode. You know, you got to see who's basically benefiting that's kind of the point. I don't, I'm mm -hmm. paraphrasing, of course, but he's yeah. like, you got to know who's benefiting, you know, from the, the talk, right? Is it the person talking or is it the person listening kind of a thing? And then he tells this story about how um, Mars Hill had basically convinced their volunteers to work six days a week because, you know, God worked for six days and rested on the seventh. So they're only going to get one day off. And he's talking about this and He's like, they basically ground their bones into dust and drank communion with it. And he's like, who does that benefit? Who does them working this many hours benefit? And I was like, of course. Well, do you have anything to say about Jesse Bryan before I say it? No, go ahead. <laughs> I was like, of course, an atheist wouldn't understand what, like, who would benefit from working for the church. Um, the worker benefits right? Do all your work unto the Lord, right? I pulled up some yeah. verses here. Because um, an atheist, it's only about them. Life is only about Jesse Bryan. Yeah. So you can't understand what sacrifice and volunteering and these sorts of things. So I just pulled up, I mean, there's a thousand verses you could pull, pull, but whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, just a hundred of them. Um, I'm just trying to find specific ones that we know. Yeah, I just can't believe that Christianity Today allowed him to say what he said. Like, let that statement be a part of the show. Like, grinding their bones to dust and using it for communion. Yeah, and I think... If I don't know any better, I think Mark, Mike Cosper sort of has like an axe to grind with Mark Driscoll. Um, but here, that was Colossians 3.23, Ephesians 6.7, with goodwill render service as to the Lord and not to men. And then I thought, you know, why do we work so hard for the church and sacrifice for the Lord? Um, Matthew 6.20, right? Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And Jesse Bryan wouldn't care about that, right? He doesn't believe in God. He doesn't believe he's going to heaven if he even believes in a heaven, right? So he's not concerned with laying up treasure. So for him, 
I'm sacrificing 20 hours of my life per week, six days a week. And for what? Like I'm getting nothing out of it. But for a believer, you do believe that you're getting something out of it. You're yeah. getting an eternal reward out of it. Yeah. Um, and not to mention, it's a church that you would love, right? Yeah. If you're serving there and volunteering, you probably love that church. Um, now, for Jesse Bryan, it's just a job. And yeah, mm-hmm. if I have a job and the boss goes, hey, I need you to come in on Saturday, but I'm not going to pay you for it. You'd be like, no, thank you. But if it was volunteering, serving somebody, you're not upset about that. Mm-hmm. So I just thought like Jesse sounded like a dope to me there. And shame on Mike Cosper for giving him that platform to trash Christian volunteers just trashing, and church workers. Yeah, all Christians are going to hear that now. And how many are going to be swayed and be angry now in their volunteer position or even a paid position? They might not be happy. Yeah, I'm like not you paid are just by having him on that show, you're just you're not thinking about the consequences of all these believers hearing that statement. Yeah, like that's like, really gonna. If you're a church volunteer. Do not listen to Jesse Bryan. Mm-mm. He is a snake um, to the church. I don't know the dude personally, but if your church asks you to volunteer and you have the means and you desire it, like mm-hmm. be glad in that. Don't be yeah. like, oh, I'm getting taken advantage of. No, be thankful. Praise God, you know, and pray to God. Like do whatever. I mean, do your work under the Lord. Lay up your treasures in heaven. Um, mm-hmm. Don't let an atheist tell you how you should behave in a church. Right. And this is my big problem with letting Jesse Bryan, Josh Harris, and all these atheists come on and talk about the church. They don't understand the church. Right. They don't understand spiritual things. They don't have the Holy Spirit. So you're going to let him go, and there's going to be people that would be easily swayed yep. to be like, oh, well, I'm not going to get you know volunteer six days a week. You know, I'm getting taken advantage of. No, you're not render your service to God. Be thankful. It's like if you realize we're all the body of Christ and we serve the body, we care for the body, which is one another, why would you, I don't know, why would you complain about caring for one part? I don't know. I don't know. You really got to think about it um, spiritually with that mindset. I can't understand it. And people always push back on us. Oh, you should let them have their voice. No. No. Please listen to this episode. Listen to that statement in particular and tell me if Jesse Bryant should have that platform. A national, a global platform. It makes to sense tell... to the world to hear that. I can see how they're like, oh, good point. But yeah, you got to see the difference between just... what sounds good to the world and what is good to the believer. What rewards you actually get, like you said, eternal rewards. Yeah, we're letting atheists tell us how we should serve the Lord. Like, think how stupid that is. Um, so that got me hot and bothered. I, I didn't think about it as, I don't know, as long as you did. And, now and maybe I'm, I'm defensive now because <laughs> the second I hear Jesse Bryan, I'm like, oh, here we go. And I don't even want to let other people off the hook because I think it was Sutton Bryan, maybe, the guy who was Mark Driscoll's executive assistant. He even talked in there, and it was kind of like a throwaway line, but he talks about how after he left the church and stuff, he's like, yeah, well, me and Jesse would talk about it and, you know, whatever they they said or came to. And I was like, 
what sort of like witchcraft does Jesse Bryan have over the people of this church where they're going to him to like confide in him? I don't understand it. Like even this guy who seemed like a relatively good dude and, you know, but like, oh, I need to, you know, get a load off my chest. So I'm going to go and talk to Jesse Bryan, the atheist. That is so crazy. I was like, oh, man, this dude must have had a spell on that church. And apparently he has a spell on Mike Cosper, too. Um, so pray for Mike Cosper. Maybe he was just hanging out with him and hired him in hopes that he would be saved. I don't know. That's why you don't let unbelievers just come into your church and have roles and volunteer like just Jesse Bryan alone is testimony of what can happen to your church. That's just one person. But he was right there shoulder to shoulder with Mark Driscoll. And it trickled down. It affected everything. So it's yeah. not just with leadership. It's in everybody's individual lives who you confide in. Yeah. Yeah, and that's why you need to be, you know, the church is not a business. Um, it's not business. A band or yeah, like you're sacrificing the health of your church for because I'm for sure what? Jesse Bryant is very talented at what he did. Mm-hmm. Um, but was it worth it in the end? Is Mars Hill crumbled and um, everybody that they loved and grew with and all that crumbled and fell away? I would say no, you know, but sure, you were big, your internet platform was big, you know, but at the end of the day, was it worth it? to bring someone like that in. Um, I mean, he wanted to make a name for himself. I'd say he sure did. So definitely shameful. But, I mean, it wasn't Christianity Today's best episode, um, but it was certainly interesting hearing about sort of the birth and rise of sort of the mega church, multi-site mm-hmm. church sort of phenomenon was pretty cool. Yeah, but, definitely learning. Yeah, I mean, I would tell you, you know, give it a listen, but... I don't know, just think about your own life and the people that are around you and how yeah. they can influence you, the people around your kids. Um, you know, if they've got a Jesse Bryan or a Jamie Munson around them, mm-hmm. I would start, you know, cleaning house on friends. And, um, yeah. you know, it'd be better to have a, a rocky end to a friendship than to have your faith crumble or your church or your family, whatever happens to be, fall apart because you let you know, a godless person influence you. It's um, like you trying to grow something your own way instead of waiting for God. Like, pray about it. He obviously didn't hear from God, you know. No, so. Definitely wait on the Lord to bless you. Yeah, and it's sad because we could use a Mars Hill uh, ministry right now. So do you have any last thoughts before we close this episode out? No, I don't have anything else to add to that, but that's. That's a lot to think about. Yeah. So we'll uh, we'll see, you know, if Christianity Today decides to put another episode out by Wednesday. We'll review it. If not, we'll come back with a, a Bible topic of some sort to talk to you guys about. We got some stuff we're working on. And then Saturday, uh, we'll try to be looking at the news again, seeing how that. Um, <laughs> how exciting. <laughs> yeah. We'll be looking at that. But again, please like and subscribe. If you're new here, um, jump on social media or on our Discord. All those links are in the show notes. We'd love to hear from you guys, pray with you. And if we're wrong about all this, we'd love to hear from you too because 
as we've said before, we don't know Mark Driscoll. We don't know Mars Hill. We don't know anybody on here. All we're going off of is what we listen to on these episodes. So if you've got deeper insight, um, we'd certainly love to hear from you on that. But otherwise, that is all we got for today. Love you guys. God bless. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.